Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Well, who doesn't? Although we can't promise you superpowers, we can help you feel like a superhuman with our friends at Ascent Nutrition. Ascent Nutrition is making a huge difference in this community, and they have a new product that we absolutely love, pine pollen. Last year, several prominent scientists started speaking out about the power of pine trees and the benefits they can offer us. Ascent Nutrition offers raw, wild-crafted pine pollen. Pine pollen contains 200 nutrients in it, making it a true superfood. It's nature's highest source of phytohormones, which support hormone and libido health for men and women. Pine pollen also supports brain health, detoxification, as well as many facets of cardiovascular health. Their pine pollen is selling fast. It's literally flying off the shelves. Ascent Nutrition is on a mission of offering deeply transformative and helpful nutrients to as many people as possible to help bring about a great collective shift in human consciousness and human health. To order your pine pollen supply and check out everything Ascent Nutrition has to offer, use the link in the description or visit GoAscentNutrition.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your entire purchase. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Kevin Estrella. First, I have a couple of announcements. If you have a business and you would like to advertise with Forbidden Knowledge News, email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We have unbeatable pricing and ad packages. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Check out Rockfin. This is where you get our premium content, as well as all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin. And we'd like to welcome to the Rockfin family, Raised by Giants. Congratulations, Ryder Lee, and welcome, Raised by Giants, to Rockfin. To sign up, just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus or click the link in the description. It's only $10 a month, but you can also create a free account and get access to all the tons of free content from every creator as well. Our website is forbiddenknowledge.news. It's also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. This is where you find amazing podcasts from our community. Today, I want to welcome Kevin Estrella. He has been in the UFO community after having his own first-hand encounter in 2014 with something not of this world. He speaks publicly and has been a featured guest on over 50 UFO radio talk shows. He uses artists first to introduce guests who have been on board craft and had direct contact with extraterrestrial beings. 
He introduces us to experiencers, star seeds, and star nation slash hybrids currently on the planet. He is also the guitarist and composer of the instrumental rock band Pyramids on Mars. Kevin, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm excellent, man. It's good to see you. Uh, I love having fellow contactees and experiencers, uh, and you've been in this community for for a good while. Um, you've had some incredible encounters that we're going to get into, and you're also the guitarist of Pyramids on Mars. Uh, I really dig your music. I, myself, like I was telling you before, I'm a musician. I play mainly guitar as well, uh, although I don't as much as I used to. Uh, I still enjoy all things guitar guitar related though especially, especially like i said you've Thank had you. incredible experiences i can't wait to get in that you've been around the ufo community for a little while now but this is your first time on here uh so let's start at the beginning how did this all start for you well it really um to get really back to the very beginnings i really started getting interested in extraterrestrials and UFOs back in university. And uh, there was a guy downstairs who, um, this is back to year 2000 when, no, 1984. And nobody had internet, internet back in 1994. And he had downloaded all these, uh, Bob, these uh, drawings are from Bob Lazar. So that's kind of where things, he started to get an interest for me. And then I started buying books from Bud Hopkins um, and reading about actually, you know, alien abduction. Hey, think, we, we lost you there for a second. Oh. oh, okay. All right. Where did, um, yeah. Last thing I heard you're picking up books about, about from Bud Hopkins. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where things, where things began, but really, um, what it was, was that I felt like my purpose on this timeline was a lot more important to that to be helping extraterrestrials in the sense of wakening up the planet to, uh, to their existence and their reality. And little did I know that actually that was the reason why I was brought into this timeline that I would have to wait um, 17, no, 14 years before the truth would actually be revealed to me. And that was the turning point was August 21st, 2014. And what happened on that night was I went out onto my balcony. I live in Hamilton, Ontario. And within seven seconds of me stepping out onto my balcony, there appears from behind my neighbor's tree, this massive UFO that was glowing orangish red, like hot coals, and was literally only a hundred yards away from me. It was very, very close. And it came out from behind a tree like it was waiting for me. There's like, it wasn't behind the tree or it wasn't, you know, behind the tree or in front of the tree. It was like literally right behind the tree. Okay. Like, like it was waiting. And I, at first I didn't know what I was looking at and it displayed physics that I had never seen before. It was like, it had height and, and, and width, but it had no depth to it. It looked like this flat surface. It had, it was unbelievable. And it was had like looked like smoke coming off the top of it and smoke along the bottom of it. And at first I thought maybe it was a meteor that was coming into the atmosphere, but then I realized it was only a hundred yards away and it was flying over our subdivision. And I'm looking at this thing going, what is that? What the F is that? 
and I was, it was like, and it was the other thing about it was that everything went completely silent. There was like no sound at all. It's like the wind stopped. Um, you could, you could hear it was like a vacuum. There was absolutely no sound whatsoever. It was the most eerie, eerie thing I'd ever experienced when this thing came into view and then it moved across my backyard and then it turned and went, it started to go south towards Bimbrook. Now, as the object was turning, then all of a sudden there was no light source. This plasma stream disappeared. And all I saw was this oblong, like football shaped black object with this vortex front, almost like a, like an umbrella of, 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 I don't know what it was like a vortex in front of it. And then it moved towards South of Embrook. And I was completely freaked out. So I, I filled out a report to MUFON, but it would be almost a year afterwards when I would discover um, when, when things, all these synchronicities would start to take place um, and all these incredible things started to happen. So really what this UFO was, it was actually a calling card for my awakening that my mission was to begin, let's put it that way. I found this out much years, years later because I met other experiencers who also were activated in August of 2014. When I asked them, when did you were at, when were you activated? Uh, it was August of 2014. I'm like, are you kidding me? Hmm. So the same, there's more like a bunch of us were activated at that point. You know what I find so very interesting um, before you continue, what I find very yeah. interesting is about your UFO sighting is my first contact experience, which is very different than many traditional contact experiences happened this the same night as a ufo sighting um i saw a ufo and then later that night went into a meditative state and and made contact and i've heard this plenty of times it wasn't on a specific date like you said but the whole yeah. you know seeing something in the sky and then having a profound experience after is something that seems common with uh, experiencers yeah i think that well this was this was meant to be it was it was it was uh, it was set up this way Mm -hmm. And then the synchronicities that took place afterwards was what completely blew my mind because it was uh, be almost like eight months later when it was the uh, announcement of the first UFO conference in Ontario, the alien cosmic um, alien cosmic expo. And then when I was reading the newspaper and was seeing, I saw Grant Cameron UFO researcher, you know, award-winning researcher is doing a presentation on extraterrestrials and musicians and why musicians are being contacted by extraterrestrials to you know to awaken people of the ufo phenomenon and i went oh my god this is about me like this is freaking crazy are you serious this is happening because i like i already i already had pyramids on mars my band and the the idea behind my music was to raise consciousness of the et presence i was combining my music with this theme and I was already doing this and felt like this was my purpose. And all of a sudden now I'm finding out that this is not a, this is not uncommon. There's somebody who actually is studying this. It was like, this now you the were craziest. studying the ET phenomenon for a while before you had this first profound experience. Oh yeah. I, I've been stu mm -hmm. studying for 24 years, like since right before, on. before that happening. Yeah. So, um, you know, you spent a lot of time studying mm -hmm. and, and then, then I went, when I met Grant, and before his presentation, I walked up to him, gave him my CD. He looked at my CD and says, we got to talk. And I'm like, yeah, we definitely do. And then he gave this whole presentation talking about music downloads and how musicians would get song downloads and dreams and come up with, and like, it was like the music was coming out of somewhere else mm. and um, the creative process. And 
I discovered that everything he was talking about, I had already experienced where like some of the songs I wrote, I didn't actually write them. They actually literally came to me in a dream. I woke up hearing the song and went down and tracked the song because it was given to me, you know? And um, so I I knew exactly what he was talking about. But well, the thing was, is that um, I, I, like I talked to him about my UFO experience, the UFO that I saw happened to be that, Mufon was was at this presentation and they were they were doing a presentation that included my UFO um, um, report. And when Stu Bundy, when I met him, he said, Kevin, your your story is one of the most plausible, crazy stories we've ever heard. And, you know, he asked, you know, can you describe again what the craft looked like when it was moving away? And then I described the plasma stream where like when I saw this craft on its side, it had a plasma stream on it, but then when it turned, it was just a black object. And he said, yeah, that's what gave it away. We realized that you were looking at a physical object, you know, which what you saw was real. And I said, great. And I said, well, how many other people reported it? There must have been like, you know, at least dozens of people reporting it because it happened at 1030 at night over, over the city of Hamilton in a busy neighborhood in, in a subdivision. And he said, well, that's the thing. Uh, nobody else reported it. Nobody else saw it. And that's when I got scared. I didn't understand how that was even possible. Now, I also got confirmation from this from, because I did a, one of my first radio interviews on the X zone, which those guys actually happened to be in Hamilton. And after I did that radio interview, they called me the next day and said, you know what? We did an investigation on the night of your sighting to find out if there was UFO, if there was other UFO reports. And there's not one shred of evidence no one no one else saw your ufo therefore you're a liar don't ever contact us again and i was just like oh great but actually i realized that it was a good thing because they actually did the research to confirm that there was no other evidence the craft was in direct contact with me but i didn't understand what was going on when i talked to grant grant said yeah i saw mufon's presentation and yeah we'll, we'll have a coffee we'll talk about it so when we get together, I tell them the whole UFO story again about how nobody else saw it except me. And Grant just says, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. I'm like, what do you mean that happens all the time? Yeah, this happens all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. can he throw me a bone here? And he said, yeah, it's called the Oz effect. He says where they have the ability to shut down everybody else around them and have interaction with the individual of who they want to have contact with so they can... It's like, I don't know how they did it, but maybe they stopped time mm. for me because that's what it seemed to be when that, everything went silent. And I, I was like, I seemed to be in this bubble the entire time that the UFO was there. there. And then as it moved away, then every, all the sounds started coming back. So maybe they did some kind of time displacement. I don't know. Man, I, I definitely like, think that there is something to that. I just have to say because of my experience, same thing. I was looking at this thing for like 20 seconds and my neighbor's talking to me and I'm looking at him, you know, and he's just not even paying attention. I'm, you know, I'm like yeah. desperately trying to get him to look. He's just not paying attention. So there's, I think there's definitely something to that as well, for sure. Yeah, they, they, can, they can shut people down so that other people don't see it. And the same thing happened actually with my son. Because a couple of years ago, I took him to go, you know, go to A&W for, for dinner downtown Hamilton. And we drove down the middle of the street past the two tallest skyscrapers. And then he's all excited talking about, says, how far away is NASA from here? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then, and then, um, and then he says, I just saw, I just saw a spaceship 
that was hovering between the two buildings. And I'm like, what are you talking about a spaceship hovering between the two buildings? And he, he drew this picture and it was, it was like a half crescent moon saucer shape that was on its side. And it was projecting this beam of, of light across the building. And it was right. It was maybe 20 feet above the skyscraper. And he was the only one who saw the ship. And I found out that it was the Ponty who I'm behind me, who I'll be getting into mm-hmm. uh, talking about my relationship with them. They confirmed that it was their ship, but Logan was the only one who saw the ship. How can you do that in downtown Hamilton, have a ship hover above um, a skyscraper, or a, a building that's you know maybe 20 feet, 20 stories tall, and it's just hovering right there. Like that would be the biggest phenomenal sensational news ever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, coming out of Hamilton, people will be taking snapshots of it. No, Logan was the only one who saw the ship, so it was they they can do that kind of thing. So all after my UFO sighting in 2014, all these synchronicities started to take place. I had already been experiencing um, uh, uh, telepathy um, majorly over the over the course of the previous years. Had the most incredible. Um, clear sentient or clairvoyant um, experience of my life that took place 10 days prior to the UFO sighting where I experienced, um, I, I basically, I saw Robin Williams dying in, in, and I was overcome with this absolute grief. It happened on a Sunday of, I was seeing him dying. And then it was announced the next day that he had committed suicide. So I, I went, I went crazy think, Oh my God, I have got, I got extrasensory perception. This is real. This is happening. And so then 10 days after that event, that's when my UFO happened. So there's like, it's too close of a synchronicity, mm-hmm. but moving forward into the future, um, a lot of uh, my, uh, of my experiences began after I was introduced to the Ponte. So how I got introduced to the Ponty was a friend of mine. I met through Misha Johnston. I'm not sure if you know her. She's um, an experiencer and she runs month, a weekly experiencer meetings for experiencers and MK ultra and secret space program people. Anyway, I met someone uh, in Australia who has, he has um, telepathic connections to a tall white who he's had, with his life, who's been with him all his life. And she's about 700 years old and her name's Dee Dee. And I've had many chances to talk with Dee Dee as well. And she revealed a lot of things to me about my future and who I was in the past and all these other crazy things. Long story to get into. But anyway, he introduced me to the Ponte. He said, do you realize there's a group of extraterrestrials using Twitter? I'm like, no way. He says, yeah, at Sandia Wisdom. So I went to go and start following them on Twitter. And at that point, there was only four, four of the Ponty who were using the Twitter account, which was Tilcom, who's at the bottom there. He's the leader. He's a commander. Drudy, she's uh, public relations. She's just above him. And then there's Teeny, and then there's Radar. So um, they don't do the actual tweeting. It's, it's a, they have a telepath who lives in, in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Her name is Sue Walker. Mm-hmm. And she and her husband Otter are both telepaths, and so they've been running the account for the, for the Ponty for the last seven years. So Sue and this gentleman basically channel extraterrestrials, and they have a they have a Twitter account that they use. 
Well, it's not channeling. It's you know, it's it's telepathy. Okay. Um, yeah, it's telepathy, and and so I met the Ponty, you know, through through Twitter, and then they they introduced me to Sue, and mm-hmm. then Sue and I hit it off instantaneously. We became very close very quickly, and then I started um, working closer and closer with the Ponty, and they would, they started teaching me a lot of things. And, um, you know, I, I've, I met, I've been over to Sue and Otter's place at least three or four times in, in New Mexico. And the, the experiences um, that I've had with the Ponte have been absolutely life-changing. Um, the first couple of things that Teeny started teaching me was she said, Kevin, do you realize that music can be communicated at now, a telepathic before, level? Before we get into that, did uh, when you say they were teaching you, were they teaching you through like the internet, through this Twitter account, or like in physical in person? How how were you learning this? Um, first, it was conversations through Twitter, uh, private messages. Mm-hmm. So it was private messages through Twitter that they started to teach me, and it was Sue who was doing all the you know translating for teeny as teeny was talking to me mm-hmm. so that's how she was communicating with me and now, so um, she initially yeah no i was just gonna ask is there what is sue's background what does she she do or is she had been involved with this for a lot long time she's been uh, a professional telepath for 25 years she's worked with many of the three letter um you know um institutions you know the CIA and FBI and stuff like that and doing okay. investigations and helping on that side. So, gotcha. you know, she's been doing this professionally for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's retired now, but you know, her telepathy is, is top notch. You know, she hears, you know, hears them very well. And it's, it's you know, a long story to get into, mm-hmm. but Tini started teaching me about telepathic communication through music. Then what she said was that I was already doing it. But I just wasn't conscious of it. I didn't know that I was doing it. And so she started to work with me to help me to become more conscious of this ability to communicate at the emotional, at this emotional telepathic wavelength to carry my music out. And then, and then what happened was um, about three or four years ago, Sue told me that I was on the schedule for a visitation by the Ponzi. They were going to come and see me and that I would know when a something would be out of place in my apartment. So one evening I'm, you know, going to sleep and my bedroom is a, it's a, it's a loft and I have a, a bedroom that's above my kitchen. So I'm looking down into my kitchen and I thought I could hear something, but I wasn't too sure. I went back to sleep and then I was awakened to the feeling of liquid draining out of my left ear, this really warm liquid. And it really, it was, it was a shocking and kind of annoying. And I was like rubbing my ear and it woke me up and I was thinking, I haven't been swimming. I haven't been swimming, you know, in eight months. How can I have water in my ear? That doesn't make any sense. So the next morning I go to work and I come home and, you know, and I'm walking over to my desk. And then I happen to notice this wooden statue of a guitar player that I had on a shelf was facing the wall. And I'm thinking, huh, what's going on here? And I went, oh. Oh my gosh, did they come? And so then my buddy in Australia, uh, he was talking to me about um, how he, Drudy was waiting for him to go asleep because she had, they had to do a procedure on him. And then, and then he was talking about like, 
removing removing liquid or black goo or something like that. And then uh, all of a sudden I became aware of thinking, wait a second, what happened to my ear? And then I went and jumped to looked at my pillow and there on my pillowcase where my ear was, was this reddish brown stain on, on my pillow. It wasn't blood, but it was some kind of liquid. And so I told him, I said, I just had liquid drain out of my left ear. And he said, oh, yeah, th thank you for reminding me about that. Yeah, they told me about that. They said that's the last part of the procedure. Um, and that's the part that that's, that's the last part that it comes out of. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so what they had done was the Ponte had picked me up and they had dipped me or whatever and, and put stuff in, in my head. And over the next seven, seven days, my body was exfoliating all these toxic heavy metals and and uh, fluoride and all this stuff like my my urine smelled like ammonia it was just nuts the stuff that was coming out of my body for the next seven days my ears were sensitive and my head was feeling different and by the seventh day my consciousness completely opened up and and i was able to access parts of my brain that i had never been able to access before it was incredible it was like, I didn't realize how much of the poisons they put in our, in our food that really turn us literally into walking zombies and clog our brain up so we can't use our full functioning brains. The Ponte repeated the procedure again 30 days later because I had another stain on my pillow. And then after that took place, my consciousness completely opened up. What I found what they were doing was that they were helping me to clear out my mind so that I could project my telepathy at a much clearer projection level like they're taking out the static and they can hear me over in albuquerque very easily if i'm playing my guitar they can hear me telepathically over in albuquerque so star nations are able to do that now you said they hear you in albuquerque who is in albuquerque the the entities the the, the extraterrestrials yes yes um they they reside in a base that is uh it's called the sandia mountain information station so it is uh, underneath the sandia mountains in albuquerque new mexico is where their base is it's two miles underground so this has nothing to do with the with the military this is an old mm -hmm. um old caverns that were used by a uh, former age of man these caverns are fifty thousand years old uh it's a huge huge complex that used to you know used to house about 1 million people in, in Albuquerque under this mountain. They only use about 10% of the base. So it's, that's, that's where it's, that's where they reside. So now did you ever, did I you, know, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, um, since that first initial visit, I have been picked up by the Ponte probably at least three dozen times, four dozen times, I would figure. Not a, they're not they're not alien abductions, <laughs> they're wellness visits, you know. And there's a lot that's going on. I know that I have been taken back to Albuquerque base many times, uh, but they they block they you know most of the memories are are suppressed. But I've had a few a few you know snippets here and there of, of memories. But I would I would know that they picked me up because I was starting to find uh, debris um, in my bed when I woke up the next morning. Very, very strange objects that I would find underneath me that were not there the day before. Um, like one day I was told, Kevin, Sue, Sue called me up and said, check your bed. 
for red dust. And then I, I flipped my bed sheets over and my pillow was all red and my, and my, and my, and my sheets were all dusty red. Like, like if I had been on Mars, you know, it was like this red, this red dust that you could, I think like, like you can only get that in in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was like New Mexico, red dust. And I'm like, this is nuts. What the heck is going on here? So, you know, there was, I, I found red dust in my bed. And then sometimes I would wake up with, with sand underneath me. Um, sometimes I would find little filaments of black obsidian glass underneath me. And then other times I would find other anomalies that I can't even describe. Sometimes there would be seeds underneath me or, or um, one thing, one time it looked like, uh, like it felt like uh, like a scab. It was, it was, um, it was, it was bio. It was biological material that felt like a scab, but it was shaped like a tooth. So there was all these strange things that I was finding in my bed. I've got them all documented, and I keep them. I keep them very safe. But I knew that the Ponty had been picking me up and taking me places. So you said you remembered. Uh, you started to remember little bits and pieces. What it, what actually did you remember about um, them? What they where they took you and what happened. Well, I remember um, there was another uh, other guy who was following following the, the Ponty on Twitter. He went by the uh, nickname Romulan Captain, and he was getting picked up and taken to the Sandia Information Station too um, at this on the on the same days that I was. And he he talked about um, about us. We were supposed to go and see somebody. And he was waiting for me, but I was in a hallway and I was chatting with some of the Ponty girls, some of the Ponty women. And when he said that, all of a sudden I had this flash memory, remembering myself talking to a Ponty girl and saying, saying something. It was a phrase that, that I had remembered what I had said and that that memory all of a sudden came to me. He also talked about saying, you know, he got, he said, Kevin, yeah. I even remember what you were wearing. You were wearing uh, one of your black shirts and you were wearing this purple dress shirt. Now, the thing was that at back in my apartment, I was wearing a black shirt and a purple dress shirt over top the entire week. How would he have known hmm. what I was wearing? When he, and then he told me what I was wearing. I remember wearing that that week. So you get all these confirmations from, you know, when you, when you share information from somebody else hmm. of where we were and what we were doing. So uh, now the Ponty are yeah. they the beings that are the pictures behind you? Is that what they look like? Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, let me just bring it up a bit closer here. And how tall are these beings? You know, how big are they? Um, they're about as tall as uh, a ten a ten year old child. So that's that's Tilcom on the bottom there, and then uh, that's Drudy, and um, actually up here. Can you see her? Yeah. Her name is Flaley, and she visited me about three years ago. So I've had a lot of extraterrestrial visits. I get visited all the time by different star nations. It, it, this, it's, it's, it's very, very busy in my condo. But she visited me a couple years ago, and uh, that's, it's an amazing story that I'll talk about in a bit. Um, yeah. <clears throat> 
Have you, have you had any regressions done to try and remember any any more information? I did. I did have one regression that I did shortly after I had met Grant Cameron, but we were not able to get much information out of that out of those regressions. I know that I should go for more regressions because I know there's a huge amount of information that's up here from other visitations, and I really like to get to know what, what I've been doing and what's been going on. Um. So as I said, the Ponte have been wonderful teachers for me. You know, I follow, I've followed them on Twitter for the last five years. I go there every day, and they've sent out 70,000 tweets. They talk about, about why they're here. You know, they're here preparing Earth for its official first contact. They've been here for decades preparing for this. And they also, you know, give warnings about the extinction-level events that are taking place currently right now on the planet that of our great concern. And that's the reason why official first contact needs to happen because they want to offer assistance. So they, and they talk about to keep people in the loop in regards to the collapsing magnetosphere, um, the coronal mass ejections from the sun and also the um, pending, um, what do you call it? Pole shift mm. and flip. And if that happens, we were in big trouble right. because it's not just, just not just a matter of the poles flipping. The earth has in the past has tilted its entire, the whole planet has tilted and moved, you know, to a different, a different angle. And that's why Antarctica was once a tropical zone. So if that does happen, if it, the planet does tilt 90 degrees, it's going to create a sloshing effect of the oceans. And they've warned that there, there will be massive tsunamis that'll be like a mile high that are going to take out the coastal lines. So they've dire warnings, and that's why official first contact needs to happen because we're going to need we're going to need assistance. So now, now are this these Ponty are they involved with any other groups or beings? And you said yes. they're in in uh, New Mexico. Are they where are they from originally too? Um, they're from the planet called uh, Pontel, which is uh, the fifth planet orbiting Zeta Reticuli 2. So just behind Zeta Reticuli, there's another star, and their planet uh, is, is, is in that sector. So, um, you know, a couple things about, about their culture. They, they have celebrations, you know, they have celebrations too and, and holidays that they, that they uh, honor. Um, they they're not you know i don't know if they really live in cities i do know that um they actually prefer to they really like um you know cave dwellings and and very natural looking homes some of their homes look like 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 village huts you know uh something that you would see in a tropical on a tropical paradise island so they like a lot of natural things um Sure, they're highly technically evolved. They had their official first contact four million years ago. They've been they've been they've been browsing the galaxy for the last four million years. They've had a presence here on Earth. Their records go back one hundred and thirty six thousand years. So they've been around for a long time. What's their you know? interest in in humans and the human race? Do they, I mean are they involved with our genetics? Do they involved with our um, upgrading of our consciousness or evolution or something? Well, um, not so much with our genetics, but they are 
um, uh, they definitely are cultural explorers. They love culture and they, they love earth culture and they're here. Not, not only are they here to, to help us, but they also are, are here to, to learn and experience our culture. They love to dance. They learn all kinds of world dances. They have dance competitions in their hangar bay. They love food. They love a lot of earth food. They love pizza. <laughs> they love ice cream. They love donuts. They love, you know, they love uh, chocolate. They love, they love all kinds of our foods. And they, you know, they also cook. Um, they're prescatarian. They don't eat, they, you know, they, they eat fish and fruits and vegetables and, and nuts and stuff like that. But they don't eat um, meat, like, like, you know, red meat. So that's one thing they don't do. Now, uh, but they, we, they also, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, this is interesting. Um, we know that there has been infiltration in the UFO community by nefarious characters, three letters agencies, people who just want to get in there and muddy the waters. And they've had plenty of, um, uh, high level individuals that have kind of infiltrated this community with the purposes of muddying the waters and confusing things and getting people to believe uh, a certain narrative that isn't necessarily true. And they have, you know, we have your former uh, CIA, uh, Pentagon, uh, former military now is, as new whistleblowers. I'm not going to mention any names, but the, these people do come out of nowhere and they get propped up very high with a certain uh, agenda and a certain narrative. But not only that, they have uh, individuals that I believe are having genuine contact experiences with something other than human. Uh, but this something doesn't have the best interest of that person in mind, and it may be giving them false information. My question for you is, um, and also, you know, on that end, there's a lot of military involvement with this, I believe, military abductions to also screw with people, muddy the waters, and they get a certain uh, agenda across, whatever that may be. Um, now, how do you know that the beings that you are dealing with are genuine and you've not been deceived in any way? Uh, is there any other um, kind of key factors that would indicate that this is not like you know some kind of military abduction or even even nefarious entities that are trying to kind of infiltrate uh and what was their particular interest for you well that's a good question and i would have to say it's because of my with with my you know i've 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 met them physically i've met them in the astral and i've and I remember those experiences and what, you know, what they've, what they, what they are, you know, it's not just, not just, you know, like, you know, the, the teachings that they've taught me, but I've got to know them very personally as well on Twitter. And, but, and I've also interacted with them in other ways as well. And it was not just like, I, it's, you know, I've, I've also felt them telepathically. And I'll never forget the, the energy and the, the love that I felt from them. It was the most incredible emotions that I've ever felt. Uh, yes. For me, know, that was the key for, like, to, for confirmation of what I'm dealing with, whether it's nefarious or not. The 
unconditional love and amazing feeling that I got from these beings and their their interest in me bettering myself was like, I don't think that's nefarious, right? You know, uh, you have to look at what they're giving you and what they want for you as opposed to, you know, some of the other things that they may want from you, right? But if they're giving you these amazing feelings of love and trying to help you in your situation, that doesn't seem too nefarious, right? No. No, they've been they've been and teaching me, teaching me things, and they've been they've been teaching me um, what I've asked for things like Athira, who came onto the planet a couple of years ago. She is a specialist in the cetaceans, the tonal languages of the whales and the and the dolphins. Mm-hmm. And so I asked, "Can you teach me this stuff?" And she said, "Yes." And so what they ended up doing was they, they gave me a download that they've given me so many downloads where I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll feel kind of tired. But then by about 12 o'clock, one o'clock, I can't stay awake. My brain is like soggy cotton and I got to go home and have a nap. And then I, and I was, it was happening all the time for this, for this one year of my life. And they have, they were giving me these downloads of information to me. And then somehow I was processing this stuff. But one of the downloads was the, beginner's course tonal languages for of the whales and the cetaceans because mm. I wanted to learn it. And then they gave me instructions in regards to how basically unzip this download. But it would take me nine months to, to get this download and actually use it because I wanted to learn about the, this tonal language that the whales use. And then it was when I was working on my album, Edge of the Black, working on this song called Nafwafim, and then I was starting to work on the main melody of this instrumental piece, the main chorus. And it was coming from an extreme deep part of me. And I felt like I was tunneling and spinning, the spinning sensation. And I was recording this beautiful thing that I was writing. 20 minutes after I recorded the demo, I get a text from, from Sue Walker. And she said, Kevin, I was just contacted by Teeny and Thera. They said, whatever you were just playing on your guitar not only did they hear it, but they said you accessed the tonal language, the whale download, the ripple effect, the, the timelessness of what you were just doing. It's, you, you access the tonal language. Now, here's the greatest, the craziest thing. After I finished writing the song and I was listening to the final master, you know, mastered song on Christmas Eve, after the sixth listen, all of a sudden, I heard a translation of the, the, the melody that I was playing on the guitar. And it was saying, there was a translation to the, this melody. Da, 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 da. And I heard, do you hear me? I was saying, do you hear me? And I stood up and I, I, I just started to cry because I knew it was real. And I texted Sue and I said, Sue, there's a translation to this. It's saying, do you hear me? And then she said, I'm, I'm hearing cheering coming from the mountain. She said, you're correct. And they said, they're sending the information back to the, to the, to the aquatic station over in New Zealand where Thera is to let her know. And they were all, they were all congratulating me that not only was I, was, you know, I, I had, was playing in the tonal language, but it was actually, there was, there was a translation to it as well. I was saying, do you hear me? So I was, I was the most, probably the most incredible moment of my life besides the birth of my son, my firstborn son. 
Wow. So when, when we talk about, you know, are they nefarious? Mm. How can that be nefarious? Right. When they teach you something like this, because you asked, you know, they're gardeners of intellect and they love, you know, they love to learn as well, but they also you love to teach if you want to learn. And so, you know, they've taught me about, about how to write my music, mm. about what tonal languages are. And so when you hear pyramids on Mars, all the elements of what makes up my music are the elements of what they have taught me. Um, you know, for instance, um, Tini gave me a lesson on tonal languages. Now, when I read, I'm going to read this to you, and then you'll understand when you hear my music, and you say, yeah, your music does all that. And so she said, in tonal languages, harmonic variations on repeating themes is strongly utilized. Repeating phrases in music is like rhyming phrases in spoken language that allow memorization and accurate retelling of the original story. It's easier to learn and remember. Besides the intent of your emotional sending out beyond the edges of time, your music needs to have an introduction, a climax, and an ending. Uses idea of repeated music phrases and themes so clear that your audience can easily recall it and hum it all the way home. So when you hear my music, that is what I do. So that you can hum it all the way home. It's easy to remember. So all these elements is what they have taught me. Man, I want to talk about the uh, importance of tone and music and frequency. Uh, this seems to be a foundation of more than we could ever imagine. It seems like our ancient ancestors had some access to, they could not only use sound for healing, they could use it to create and build, and all these incredible things just by using frequency and tone and different sounds and noises, I think that we achieved incredible things, and we still can, you know, just like you are saying with uh, your tones that you were playing, you, you know, it's communication with different animals. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think is this underlying theme with frequency and sound and our consciousness and the abilities we have with it? Well, frequencies are, um, we know that, that there are frequencies that can heal and change DNA. Um, scientists have proven this. They've been able to play frequencies and turn tadpoles into frogs. You know, uh, frequencies are also able to move stones and, and levitate things. But frequencies, as well as like light frequency of different colors, can heal as well. And Sherry Wilde, who is an experiencer, and she's written um, a few books and the movie is being made on her life, she talks about the healing chambers on board these uh, motherships where they will go into a room and it may vibrate at a certain frequency, or it may be a room that is of a certain color of light. And these rooms, these, these act as act, you know, the activation and healing. So we know that frequencies are very important. Um, but also you, even the music that we listen to right now, most most music is recorded at 440 hertz, which is actually a false frequency. It's a, it's a damaging frequency. There, it has nothing at all that, that's, that's part of nature. You know, we should be re recording and playing music at 432 hertz because that coincides with the Fibonacci code, with the golden ratio, and also um, sacred geometry. 
you know, the three, six, and the nine. So, uh, and, you know, adding up to nine. So 432 is a very, very important frequency. But there's, there are also other important frequencies like 528 hertz solfeggio. So that, that is an important frequency, which actually ends up being um, 528 is actually a, as a C note. And then the A note is 444. They, they, they coincide together. But the funny thing about the story like that, like all my music is recorded at 432 hertz. Yeah, I've been doing that for, for the longest time. Except on my new album, which I just, my new album, Cosmic Angels, which was just released this week. Half of that album was recorded at 528 hertz. But how that happened is a really interesting story. Basically, it was my Gibson Les Paul. I went to pick it up one day, and it just had this really deep, rich sound to it, and it sounded unlike anything I, I, I played on it before. And all this music started to write on the guitar, like all these songs were coming instantaneously. But then it was like after listening to the song, I was thinking, wait a sec, my guitar has never been tuned this low. I think somebody retuned my guitar. And then when I went to check my guitar, it had been tuned down a whole step and a half. Like my guitar is like my, that guitar is, is like, a, it's a drop D tuning, you know, like, mm -hmm. like tool. But then I drop it down a whole, whole other step to drop low drop C. A drop low drop C is a really great tune. Uh, you know, we, our, my old band used to record a drop C. Mm -hmm. um, but it was dropped down beyond that. It was dropped down to drop A, like a whole step and a half. And I'm like, who did this? What's going on? But then the frequency wasn't even right. It was like, it was like kind of like, you know, it would, didn't make any sense. I had to get a frequency tone generator to find out what the frequency was that the guitar had been retuned to. And lo and behold, it was 528 hertz. So, and I found out that it was Grayson, one of the Ponte had retuned my guitar. He wanted me to experiment in this new tuning. So not only was it 528 solfeggio, but it was also a baritone setting. The strings were so low that I had to buy a heavier gauge of string in order for my guitar to balance out right and hold, hold, the, hold the notes because the, the strings are so wobbly. So the Ponte, because of their, uh, because of their influence once again, you know, they, they uh, retuned my guitar and all this new music started to come out of my guitar. Uh, all songs written in one take, first take, you know, if, uh, from the edge of the black and, um, and voila, <laughs> recorded in this new, this new uh, alien tuning, literally alien tuning. <laughs> wow. That's incredible, man. Now, how has your understanding of what these guys are and their relationship to humanity, has it changed since you first started experiencing this? And do you think that they are, uh, a, you know, a sort of a uh, ancient ancestor? Do you think that we have any kind of uh, connection to these beings? Well, I do know that the, the Ponte have confirmed that the human race has been genetically modified um, at least a dozen by a dozen, dozen different star nations or at least a dozen different times. So we've had a lot of, a lot of, you know, things done to our DNA. Some of it's been upgrades and some of it's been downgrades. We've, we've been played around with quite a bit, you know? Um, 
I don't know if we have any of their DNA in us. I'm not sure. I think it's, I actually think we do, but we've got like, we've got, we got DNA from, you know, a, a whole bunch of different star nations and also, you know, junk DNA. It's not junk DNA. It's inactivated DNA. So, you know, God doesn't create junk, <laughs> you know? Right. So we're, we're learning about these things and, but main, mainstream science is, is staying kind of quiet about it. You know, they don't want people knowing our, our true origins or going, yeah, we're all actually, we're all hybrids, but mm. it's true. We are. We're all now, hybrids. I want to talk about, I want to go back to a second to the technology, possible technology that these beings may have and its relation to maybe frequency or sound. Uh, I was listening to an interesting podcast earlier where the gentleman uh, had seen some old videos of a scientist that was using uh, insect wings, uh, like thousands and thousands put together in a certain way that he managed yeah. to manipulate to create like an anti-gravity device. Uh, and I'm wondering if you know this could be, there could be something to that because you look at large insects, winged insects that can fly and have a heavy exoskeleton. How on earth are they doing and that? It seems like we could take that technology and have a way more efficient flying machine than an airplane. Uh, and I, th you know, it makes me think of sound and frequency and the way that these insects are flapping their wings or using their wings a certain way to create this anti gravity effect. And I want to get your thoughts yeah. on that. Well, I, I know I know what you're talking about. I, um, yeah, I can't remember who the guy was, but he Slovakia or something. These, yeah, yeah. They started with an S, and it was it was quite a long time ago. Yeah, where it was, uh, he had taken like, these wings and put them onto like a a board, and then he had a handle to it, and then he was able to manipulate the handle somehow, which mm. which was able to change would change whatever it was with these wings, and this thing was like flying hundreds like you know hundreds of miles an hour yeah um yeah i know what you're talking and about. it also yeah, would create these strange stuff. atmospheric effects that were surround the the object uh something that seems right, to, to yeah. change physics so that's interesting as well yeah it was like uh it like created like a a, a bubble around him of protection mm. so that things couldn't couldn't penetrate now i've also heard the same kind of thing of the similar technologies um, when I was talking to uh, Chris Bledsoe, who's a world famous experiencer, mm -hmm. and he talked about the beings that he had been in contact with that had, it, they were almost like, um, um, what would you call it? Like hoverboards, you know, like in, uh, in the one that they had in Back to the Future, that was the skateboard without any wing, any, without any yeah. uh, wheels. So something similar to that that they have, but when they go fast, it does the exact same thing. It creates a impenetrable force field around them that protects them, and they're able to go tremendously fast on these things. So they've got technology that's kind of similar to you know the 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 wing stuff. So this, this stuff is real, yeah. Now, what are the possibilities when it comes to, say, the music that you make? Do you think that we could figure out um, a way to integrate these frequencies of healing and, and building some way in our near future uh, to kind of regain 
those abilities and access to the the consciousness abilities we used to have uh do you think that it's even possible and especially having firsthand kind of experience and access to uh working with these types of frequencies what do you think about that i think there's a lot of areas for us to learn and grow of being able to access that kind of stuff within music and the and the healing the healing abilities of music, um, you know we're 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 already discovering um, different different sounds that create create different states of consciousness and and changing you know changing changing our our, our consciousness as well through the sound of the music. I mean, uh, a great example is uh, a, a friend of mine who I work with. Uh, his name is Campbell Foster. He has built this uh, machine, which he calls the Creation Spirit Machine, uh, Pyramidian. And what it is, it's a, um, it's a frame, is a Cheops pyramid. It's metal, it's framed. And then it has this accretion disc on top of it, which is this huge metal disc, which sits on top of it, which is the same uh, diameter as, this, as the, the frame. And then this thing, all of a sudden, is, is vibrating on its own that the disc is vibrating on its own. And then he amplifies it with um, he's got a speaker on one end and a, and a microphone on the other. And then he just, he just runs the feedback through it to amplify its sound. And it's, it's creating the sound of the pyramid. And when you listen to this instrument, it sounds like a Moog synthesizer from the seventies. It's absolutely incredible. The sound that comes out of this. It's beautiful sounding, and, and we use it for meditation. And he does a lot of meditations with this, with this using this machine. We found out um, a couple of years ago through experimentation because he and I were work, we were doing a rehearsal, and then all of a sudden I thought, well, I wonder if I could change the sound of this, change the frequency through telepathy. And so then I started focus. I just started hearing notes in my head and was playing the notes in my head. And, and then all of a sudden the disc started to change the frequency to what I was, what I was focusing on. And then Campbell was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm playing the instrument telepathically. And, and I, I would experiment with a couple other things and it was actually working. Wow. Now the other credible synchronicity to all this the fact that, you know, like my band is Pyramids on Mars, and here I am playing a pyramid telepathically. The day that we discovered this, you know what day it was? It was my birthday. Oh, wow. <laughs> January 25th. It yeah. was my birthday. Yeah, another synchronicity. So, like, it was nuts. It was crazy. Um, but, yeah, there, you know, we, I, there's a lot more that we can discover through music for healing. Um, and, I, I, you know, and... And communicating music on a, at, a, at a deep emotional level is very important. Yeah, for me, uh, whenever I, think a lot I go, of musicians have lost that. Yeah, I, th I think so too. I mean, I I regret not playing as much as I used to. But for me, whenever I write a song, um, I wouldn't be able to do it with my thoughts. If I was thinking um, of, of how to do it or using intellect to write the song, it wouldn't happen. Uh, if I just stopped and just let everything go and went by feel uh, and didn't use my brain or thoughts at all, that's when the beautiful stuff would come through. And uh, I think that there's there's something to that even, you know, with any type of art or, or uh, 
um, any type of creativity that it does at times come from somewhere else other than yourself and uh, it's not your brain or your think your thoughts that it's coming from yeah exactly and i'm glad you brought that up because um i i know exactly what you're talking about and um the ponty were teaching me this as well they were teaching me a few years ago about, about the nature of creativity and they were explaining it from their point of view and they just they call it the edge of the black so what they said is that when when you slow down your brain waves and get into a, that creative state that timeless state where you're not really paying attention to what the time is that's when you start to synchronize with the collective consciousness and then you start to become a co-creator with the collective consciousness in the music writing process. And so Tini's phrase was, go to the edge of the black of the universe, turn around and wait for the next song to be sung, you know, to come to you. And so then you start to be a conscious creator with the universe and create the music. So, and that, that was the catalyst for my album, the last album I did, which was called Edge of the Black. And what was happening during that period of time with Edge of the Black, the music I was starting to write spontaneously where it was written in the first take. So I would just pick up my guitar. I already had a good sound and then something would come to me and then I just hit with the record button and then, and then I would start playing and then the whole song would come together perfect as it was. And that is actually what has happened with my new album, Cosmic Angels. Every single song on this album was written in one take, no edits no edits. Wow. So what you hear is exactly what came when I hit the record button and I played it, the whole song came together, everything the way it was. And that is the edge of the black. And that is, you know, what the, the Ponte have been teaching me about, you know, let go, just let go. You know, <laughs> it sounds Man, like that's uh, great. Now, where do you see this all going for, for your future? What, what, uh, what are your plans with this uh, to continue writing? Um, do you have any other you know, projects you got working on that you'd like to talk about before we uh, close this out? Well, we just released uh, Cosmic Angels, and we'll be promoting that album uh, for the next year. I plan on doing playing some uh, live concerts, uh, you know, uh, Facebook live concerts and um have a tip jar there for people to contribute that to that so that's that's the game plan right now is to to do some live concerts here uh through you know in my studio up here um there will be other other musical projects down the road i've been collaborating with a uh a, a native american flute player by the name of stands with bear and he's releasing his new album which is called breathless and there's two or three songs on the album, which are actually uh, um, collaborations that we both have done. So they were Pyramids on Mars songs, and I stripped things out, and then it's, it's him. He's, he's playing his, his flute um, you know, over, over the music, and it's a, a beautiful marriage, like the a perfect, what, what we do together is, uh, is, is just, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. So that was, that was uh, meant to be. And the funny thing, another, you know, talk about synchronicity, the Ponte, it was Teeny five years ago, told me, she said five years ago, you're going to be an American, you're going to be adding Native American flute to your music. And I said, and I thought she was crazy. I said, what are you talking about Native American music? <laughs> and then it was two years after she had told me that, then I met Stance with Bear 
in Sedona, Arizona at a UFO conference. And we, I knew it once I heard him play, oh my God, that's the one they were talking about. And then when he met me, he was looking for a guitar player, like a rock guitar player like me. And then we realized that our music was so, we were able to collaborate together so well. And we have never, you know, we've never separated. It was like meant to be. And the Ponte had, the Ponte had told me that two years before meeting him, that this was going to happen. I don't know how they know the future. They, they've told me a whole bunch of stuff about the future. And so is, you know, Didi, the tall white, she's told me stuff about my future too. So I don't know how they're able to know the past, present and future. It's now, uh, one of those um, novels. One more thing before we close out. You said that they warn about a potential cataclysm in the future, and I've had plenty of amazing researchers that on and you know, contactees and people who have been getting this kind of similar information that we are headed towards times of great turmoil on the planet that's of cosmic of nature uh the cause and uh you know we may not necessarily be able to stop it but it's something we should uh, be prepared for uh is this you know the the same message that they're giving you and they have they given you any types of timeline on this they they say it's like trying to predict a tornado mm. um they know that it's going to happen sooner than later and that's these things are cyclical. They happen, you know, every 12,000 years. They've been preparing for it for a long time. They closely monitor our sun with the mass ejections. What's happening is that our, our, where we are in the solar system, we're going through a very, very turmoil uh, part as we as, as we're going, you know, the, you got the central galactic. An energetic sun, part is what, is what, from what I, from what I've told, a more energetic part of the solar system. Yeah, and we're going through it. They call it the Ponte, call it the zone, mm-hmm. and it's very dangerous. So we're getting bombarded with space weather, and the space weather is affecting our sun. It's already affected other other stars in the in the neighborhood. Um, it's already we've already got Neptune and Pluto. Their 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 atmospheres are collapsing. Other, other everything's happening in our in our in our all at the same time. The danger is that if we get if the sun has, it could have a, a micronova. And if it sneezes and that goes towards the earth, one of two things can happen. Um, it could cause a massive, um, they would call it a kill shot, which would destroy all electronics. So we're talking about not like, you know, it, no, we're talking like everything would fry and melt. Your cars wouldn't work anymore. Electronics, we'd be back to the stone age and be back to, you know, trying to get food. That's one danger. Um, but the other danger is that it could be so bad that it could kill, uh, it, it could take out life on the sun surface, you know, and that's why the, the elites, the elites have built all their underground tunnels and, and cities and stuff. Cause they've been preparing for this for, for decades. So they're all, they're all set to go. They know yeah. about it. Yeah. And the only advice, you know, you, the best thing you can tell people is prepare yourself, man. Just, you know. Learn how to grow your own food, become self-sufficient, and don't rely on the system as much as possible. And I think that's the best. Ponties say it all the time. Yeah. Every time they're always saying, "Grow your own food. Learn to uh-huh. grow your own food." The storm is coming. The storm is coming. It's true, man. I agree 100. percent Well, Kevin, this was fantastic. We're gonna have to do this again in the future. Uh, let the audience know where they can find pyramids on Mars and all the other good stuff you got going on. Yeah, you can find me at pyramidsonmars.com. Everything is there, links to Bandcamp where you can listen to my music, all four albums. 
Uh, follow me on Facebook, you know, Pyramids on Mars, very easy to find. So the best, those are the best places. Go to my website, though, pyramidsonmars.com. Awesome. I'll have, uh, I'll have that linked up in the description. Thank you again, Kevin. That was fantastic, and we'll Thank definitely you. talk again soon. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. We'll see you then.